So very quickly, uh, Ms. Amber brought me a, a piece of paper, uh, 718 Shoshone Street East in Twin Falls, uh, block north of the city park, is the address for the Sage, Sage, uh, what's it called? Sage Women's Center, excuse me. So if you have any more questions, just corner, don't let her out. It has been a great blessing to, to have the opportunity to come and preach again. Uh, it seems like it's far and few between, uh, but it, it's there are so many blessings outside of just standing behind the pulpit. So many opportunities to share the word of God. Uh, I had the blessings the other day when I was doing drug and alcohol counseling in one of my classes, and a and a young man and his, uh, his girlfriend were about to have a child in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and they, they asked a question, one of the young ladies asked a question that, that had to do with uh, the respect between a husband and a wife. And then, then we, we went through Sunday school this morning on the same topic, which was an excellent class. I encourage you, if you do not attend Sunday school, please come and join those. Uh, the, the discourse between people is fantastic. The, the lesson was fantastic. Kim did an excellent job with it. Uh, very, very touchy subject. I saw that as he taught, he stood up. He said that he usually doesn't do that, but it was about women submitting, and he didn't want to sit next to his wife while he was talking about it. So uh, <laughs> That's why he stood up, and he even had a little, little box between him and her. And, uh, but, uh, smart man, very, very smart man. But, uh, but anyway, no, it, it was just an excellent class. But as this young man was speaking to me, and, and the young lady asked a question, I turned and I looked at him, and, and this is something that's been of great conviction to me since becoming a Christian. I, I had horribly mistreated my bride and my family uh, while still a practicing addict, alcoholic. And, and even afterwards, five years clean and sober before we had become Christians, well, five years sober, three years clean. And the, the animosity and the frustration and the anger, all that still existed until Christ came in. There was still just this massive division between my bride and I. And I remember becoming a Christian and still struggling because we'd spent all these years in pornography and all this garbage feeding into our minds and our lives and God, I need help. I, I, I got to get this stuff out. I, I, can't, I can't live like this because I'm convicted. So I, I did what was the unthinkable to me. I went and I talked to my pastor about it. And he told me, he says, your wife deserves all that affection. Your wife, your marriage deserves all that attention. You shouldn't have time to ever look or think about someone else in any manner that's inappropriate your wife deserves that affection. And it changed my marriage. It, it, it refocused my thoughts on, on the gift that God had given me in his daughter's hand, in my hand. And it changed my perspective. My prayer today is, is that from the word of God, he will use it to change your perspective in a profound way. That as I ask you the simple question, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, what is God to you? Who is God to you? 
That, that, that's my question for you to, to ponder. Who, who is God? If God is your Savior, if, if God is your Creator, if you recognize God as the all-powerful who created the world in, in six literal days and gave us a day of rest, which we're here for today, to celebrate that as the Savior was risen on the seventh day. That's why we celebrate as Christians on Sunday. If that is who God is to you, how are you treating him and others? This was a powerful, powerful time for me and and a rich blessing to to gather together a a sermon and, and have the opportunity to share it. Matthew 22, 34 through 38 is our text for the day. Please stand for the reading of the word of God. Matthew 22, 34 through 38. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a scholar of the law, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. God, I thank you so much for the richest of blessings as we read your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me to to speak it, Lord. Let pride never enter the equation, God, but let it be all for your glory. Lord, I have often asked myself and been asked by others, how do you know it's the word of God? Because it always leads back to you. It's about you. It's about your glory, Lord, and it is a direction for us. I pray, Lord, that we would... We would see that direction, and God, that you would use it in a powerful way to move us today. Use a simple man, Lord, for your glory and your honor. And I pray, Lord, for your blessings upon it. In Christ's name, amen. You be seated. I was told years ago that you should just grab one uh, pericope, to remind you of Mickey, of Scripture and stay within that. And, and it was so difficult because all Scripture backs Scripture. So how do you limit it to just one or two? Uh, it's virtually impossible. But on a topic such as this, there's many different Scriptures that have to be used to back it. So as I flip through these, please forgive me as I search for them. Uh, I have a new Bible, and sometimes the pages still stick together. And, uh, so yeah, sometimes it's interesting. You're doing this to try to get them apart. So, I've spent a great deal of time over the past two weeks since being given the blessing of sharing the Word of God again from the pulpit here at Northridge. I've been focusing on the great desire that the body of Christ here has for revival. As this has taken place, the Spirit of God keeps prompting me with a question Who am I to you, Brian Parrish? No doubt this prompting comes from the many prayers that we have put forth regarding the desire for revival. I found myself saying to him, I have shared you with passion, Lord, but sometimes, and even oftentimes, I have lacked compassion while doing it. I have left opportunities that the world would think me crazy for doing so to serve you. Yet, God, I have never lacked for anything at any time because of your immense love and provision for me. Ladies and gentlemen, I am blessed 
I am chosen, not because of anything that I have done, but purely because he chose to love me. I am awestruck and speechless when I ponder such an immense and undeserved gift from my God and my Creator. With that said, though, I still have the prompting of the same question. Brian Parrish, who am I to you? And I've asked myself that to the point where there is no shooting from the hip for an answer. The only answer can come from the Word of God, so it requires a man or woman to sit down and actually pour through the Scriptures. And it causes a new reflection as, as you read the Word of God that you are not just reading it, and, and even as, as Kim said this morning, so bouncing through the, the therefores, the as's, and, and, and all of the other things that, that rest within it that connect one from the other, it actually requires a man or a woman to sit down and pour through it with the idea of, God, who are you? And who are you to me? I shared at the opening of this the, the profound love that God gave me for my bride as he came into our lives and he healed us from the brokenness of, of all of the things that we had done in our lives as, as addiction and other thing else had, had taken reign. And he comes in and he makes us a new creation. He gives us a new heart and he allows us the blessing of starting over with him as the focal point. So I have those answers that I can give. This is who God is. This is what he's done. But who is he to you now? You're 20 years into being a Christian. Have you become lukewarm? And I didn't, I didn't like the answers that I was coming up with because I had to wrestle with the honesty of who God is to me. So I'm asking you, who is God to you? We are seeking revival we're asking God to rain down His Spirit as we bow up here each week before the service. We ask God, please rain down Your Spirit upon this people and, and put the seed of revival within our hearts and change who we are and how we focus on You, how we love one another, how we lead our families, how we follow You in the workplace. All of these things we pour out before God. And yet often, just as the song from Casting Crowns says, between the altar and the door, the persona changes. So who is God to you? Because I need God to be the same for me within me and the same awestruck respect that I have for Him while I'm here and I hear the Word being taught in Sunday school and I hear the Word being preached from this pulpit or I'm listening to a sermon or I'm listening to the Word of God or I'm reading the Word of God. I need Him to be that same thing and that same person, that same being, that same Savior and Creator that strikes me as just amazing beyond belief that He would look upon a people and redeem them with his own blood. I need him to be that when I'm at work. When I'm by myself. When I'm in front of my computer screen. I need to run from the things that offend God. I need to, to have a respect for him. That shows in how I treat my bride and how I treat you. I need to, to approach things with an innocence. And yet with a fervency and a passion. All these things are contrary to what we're taught within the world that surrounds us. We're in a me, me society. This is about I. But the word of God, as I said at the beginning, points everything to him. 
And as his child, that's who he's supposed to be to me is everything. And how I act is supposed to reflect him. And he knows my heart, so there's no sense in trying to lie to him. I can be honest before him and pour myself out and ask him for his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy and for the power to change. It took everything I had when I started out as a Christian to go to my pastor and tell him the struggles I was having within me. But it was the greatest reward that I received because I saw his daughter in a new light. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the same gift that's offered to you. It's not just for one. There's there's no favoritism for Greek or for Jew. He pours out the same Spirit on all of us for our redemption. So who is God to you? Rather than shooting from the hip to answer the question, I sat down and began to read the Word of God that I may give an appropriate answer. As I read familiar passages, I found myself struggling as I wrangled with honesty about where I often stand in opposition to what I claim are my feelings towards my Savior. Passages such as John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And it's just like Kim taught this morning. Which ones? We want to lean to the left or the right. We don't want all of the commandments, right? But yet, as we go forth and we share the gospel... Those are the things that we're sharing. I'm asking you those questions. Do you know what sin is? Well, how would I know what sin is if I don't know what the commandments are? How will I know who I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to act and how I'm supposed to entertain others and treat others if I'm not in the Word of God to have that perfect example? How will we do these things as children of God? How will we know who He is to us if we're not in this together? All too often we hear somebody, I have God on the banks of the river as I fish. Or I have God in my car as I drive down there. You're right, God is everywhere. But he also commands us in Hebrews 11 to not give up meeting together or some are in the habit of doing. But rather to come together all the more as we see the day approaching. So what does that mean? Is it a commandment? It is. Come together. Love one another. That's better than self. How about honesty? Have you ever told a lie? One of the funniest commercials I've ever seen on TV is when Abe's wife walks out, does this dress make me look big? He's quiet. it's, It's just hilarious. But I'm thinking to within myself, what are we doing in order to to accommodate God with the grace and the mercy and how we respect and answer one another with truth? If an employee comes to you and asks how they're doing, how do you be honest with them without tearing them down? Or how do you be honest with them without building them up too much? Paul was given a thorn because he had seen one of the levels of heaven and he, he needed that thorn to remind him that he was still mortal. We can't build them up too much. But we also shouldn't be tearing them down. This verse... And others, referring to John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, that are relevant to it, have been stopping me in my tracks. John 15, 9 through 12. 
Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that excuse me, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and that you losing my place there, excuse me. <laughs> these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Verses like that have only served to exacerbate the feelings that I'm wrangling with inside. Because I don't want to just pass over them like, like I have done so often and say, well, I love most people. Most of the time. How do you feel if, if somebody, somebody says, if your spouse says to you, that's good enough. That's almost like saying that's good enough for you. How about the, the statement, good enough for the women I date? There's your dangerous one. Now you've got to have a pulpit between you and her now too, huh, Kim? No, it's not. If it's not your, your, your all to God, then, then it's not enough. Because you see, God gave all for you. He gave his life for you to redeem you. So how much of you... Being obedient to God is required of you from these words. How many of those commandments are you supposed to have that you follow? How much time are you supposed to spend within the word of God in order to be full of the spirit of God? To have a knowledge of who he is and how he expects you to be? Is there, is there enough time in the day? It says to pray without ceasing. These are, these are the things that I've been wrangling with. And, and, and I'm asking you again, who is God to you? What things are you doing that, that, that show who Christ is to you and in you and through you? Does the world see Christ in you? Does he, do they see who he is and how you treat your family? How you respect your leadership? There's one I'm in trouble for. I'm, I'm asking you to reflect truly because we have been praying for years here for revival. And yet, I find myself struggling with the simplest of commandments from God. I find myself struggling to... to adhere to, to monitor myself, to monitor my, my thoughts, my words, and my actions. Yet I want God's revival so that I don't have to. But God is saying, no, you still have to, Brian. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. I'm not redeeming you for, for what you've done. It's the process of sanctification because of what I have done for you. You see, Brian, it's about me, not about you. It's about what I've done, not about what you are doing or not doing. My grace is sufficient for you, but you're in action. Well, maybe you better pick up the word and go to 1 John. 
and read what it says. You can't purposely stay in sin, ladies and gentlemen. If you claim to be a child of God and you purposely stay in sin and cast aside the things of God in order to accommodate your fleshly lust, you're in trouble with God because that makes a statement that says that the fruits aren't there. You see, I don't want my fruits just there when I'm here. I want them every day, all the time. And I struggle with it. And I argue with myself over that. And I brought it up to Mickey. Man, I sometimes I'm glad I'm not a pastor anymore. <laughs> I brought it up to Mickey. And he says, that's how you know you are a child of God. And I knew that. Do you realize that? You would not care that you were struggling with these things. You wouldn't even consider it a struggle if you were not a child of God. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're convicted over your sin, repent. You are convicted because you are a child of God. But repent doesn't mean for a moment. It means to turn away from it, to walk away from it. Read 1 John. Drink in that you cannot consistently stay in that sin and say that you're okay with God. And I'm not telling you that you're not going to have lapses. I'm not telling you that the, the thoughts are never going to creep in. That you're not going to have to fight it back again. But by the power of God, you will fight it back. It's called sanctification. And Mickey was right. He didn't say it to make me feel better. He said it because it's a reality. Anybody that knows Mickey knows that he's not really into the whole making you feel better. He wants you to be convicted and moved towards repentance. Because he loves you. And, and there's a redemptive work going on in your life. And he desperately is seeking. We, not just he, but we are desperately through prayer and through action, through, through evangelism, through the other things that are taking place within the teaching here, are seeking revival. The kids' ministry. What better gift than, than to have the opportunity to share with the next generation who Jesus Christ is and the redeeming work that he's done. Why would a parent seek to, to teach their children at home outside of a desire for them to know who Christ is and to know the fact that, that they are not teaching that in school? That, that they're teaching that they're some clever, hairless ape? That's foolishness. But there's a, there's a desire in the heart's of moms and dads here for their children to know who God is and they know that the only way that that's going to take place is if they take those children into the home and teach them from the scriptures who God is. We now live in a country that there's not hardly even a foundation anymore of knowledge of who God is. And, and, and it shows, it's reflected in what we do and in what we don't do, what we allow. My bride brought up this morning as we were going through Sunday school something that was very profound. What has happened to, to the male leadership within the home as Kim was teaching about women being submissive and men being these godly leaders that they're supposed to be. And, and, and she brought up, how many of you here, everybody loves Raymond. I mean, he's just a buffoon. He's an incompetent individual unable to even lead his family. But yet I sat and laughed at it. And I, I thought as she brought that up, and I've heard it before, but as I thought as she brought it up, 
Why would you take that in knowing that that, that is a demise of the family system? I'm not here to convict you about what you're watching. That's up to God. But what I'm asking you is what are you doing that honors God? Who is God to you? What do you want to be? What do you want to proclaim to others? Because that's the power of the Holy Spirit moving you. When you ask yourself that question, if you will ask yourself that question, it will change your perception. If you will ask yourself, how are you supposed to love your wife? What does it mean to respect your husband? What does it mean to not not trouble your child? What do those things mean? Those are from within the word. What does it mean to lead your family? What does it mean to follow the commandments of God? But there's grace. There's grace because when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. It tells us in 1 John, Jesus Christ, the righteous, is our redemption. His work how he moved, the power that he exhibited on that cross as he gave his life and then took that life up again three days later. That's the power of redemption. That's the power that God has put into your heart if you're his child. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ, purchased by the very blood shed by God himself on a cross. I don't know how much more awestruck you can be than that. Is God your Savior? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Do you understand what sin is? Do you, do you know that it's wrong? I know the world doesn't think it's wrong for you to not lead your home men. I know the world doesn't think it's wrong for, for women to not respect their husbands. I know what's going on out there. I'm not blind. But who is God to you? Is he in you? Is he changing you? Is he working on you? Is he sanctifying you? These are the things that I have been wrangling with as I prepared for this service. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. That, that Opening that up, abiding in his love. What does that mean? Does that mean that you won't have trials or struggles, illnesses? It doesn't mean that. It means that he gives you the power and the strength and the courage to face those things. He even gives you grace when it's time for you to leave here, dying grace, to move. And, and, and those are things of fear because it's the unknown. It's not that we don't want to be with God. It's the sudden impact at the end sometimes that leads to God. <laughs> and, and, and it brings a fear because it's an unknown. He understands that too. Christ even exhibited that as he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Do you see that God has an answer for every part of your life? As a child of God, you have those graces and mercies given to you through his word. You can see that even our Savior struggled with the very things that we struggle with. Yet he was without sin, that he could be the redemption for you. The righteousness for you. I can't help but look at where Peter was 
in Matthew 16, 15 through 23, when he professed Christ as the Son of God in one moment and was being reprimanded the next moment for his inappropriate words and actions. There is a desire within me to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But I war with myself as I often struggle with inappropriate actions towards God and his creation. Something that Pastor Mickey covered very well in regard to Paul's argument with himself in Romans 7, 14 through 25. And the conflict between the two natures. Christ has left us all the perfect example recorded within his word. John 14, 31 says, But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. So that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Well, that impacted me. I've read through John 14, 31 many times. And there's all these other verses that are so well known that almost all of you probably have memorized that surround that. But that one really got me. So that the world knows that I love Jesus, am I doing exactly what he commanded me? Because I just read to you, John 15, that whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. So does the world know that you and I love Jesus because we follow the commands he's given us? And that's a hard question for me. Those are the things I'm wrangling with. What, what troubles you in your mind about your relationship? What convictions do you have in the process of sanctification? What moves you to change? It's the Spirit of God that dwells within you. Because if you're still of the world, you're not going to care about change. See, there's, there's a security for me in knowing that I'm a child of God because of the conviction of the Spirit in my life. That is such a rich blessing. I am changing, and I care about these things, not because of anything I am doing, but because of what He's doing in me, what He's doing in my life. And that's a blessing. That's a rich blessing. I've said this from the pulpit before. I can really relate to Peter. I understand how it is to get both feet in my mouth. <laughs> the guy just didn't matter. I, like I said, I could so closely relate to him. It's like <sighs> kicking yourself, right? He, he, he wants so desperately to honor God. He knew who he was. Or who he is. And yet he still had the same conflictual verbalization that got him in trouble over and over. And all the people said amen. <laughs> Christ has left us the perfect example as it says. But so the world may know that I love God or love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commands me. If we desire revival and desire others to know that we love God then we will do what he has commanded us to do. Taking it a step further is if we want revival, then each individual needs to ask themselves the same question. Who is God to me? You see, we've been focused so much here on revival that it's become a passion. And it's supposed to be. We, we need that burning desire within us to come back to a point where God is the focal point of, of the church. Not, not the, the worship band. Not, not the, the coffee. 
Not the social club. That's what you go to the golf course for. But that it comes together with a desire that says, man, I, I hope the service doesn't end too soon. I know my stomach's growling, but man, I, I can't wait for the next morsel from God's word. How many have argued within themselves over that exact thing? Are you hungry for more of God's word? Or sirloin? Both. I could talk to God while I was eating sirloin. Never mind. Sidetrack. See, that's what happens with squirrels. From the word of God in Joshua chapter 7, we see the defeat of Israel by a small and seemingly insignificant kingdom named Ai. Because an individual, Achan, had broke the commandment of God and coveted and hidden away treasure that was not to be taken from a conquered people that God had given into the hands of his chosen people. It's important that you you listen to what, what is going on. As Achan was told, all of the people, don't you take anything. You don't take animals, you don't take gold, you don't glean anything from this. Just destroy them, because it's idolatry. God does not like idolatry. You can even say, absolutely, without a doubt, God hates idolatry. And he wanted everything destroyed. Don't take anything. But Achan, he looks at that, that's a lot of gold and silver. So he takes it. And he hides it underneath his bedroll. And they're, they're talking to Joshua. And Joshua, the, the other people say, you don't even have to send all the troops. Just send a few thousand. This kingdom's not, not significant enough for, to send everybody. Let the others rest. They wiped them out. They wiped Israel out. A seemingly insignificant size kingdom wiped out God's chosen people because of one sin in the camp. And I think to myself, who's God to you, Brian? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying that revival hasn't come because of your sin or my sin. That's up to God. I'm not here to judge on that. What I'm saying is, is I need to ask myself, when I look at how God views sin from the Scripture, when I don't shoot from the hip and just give you my ideas, but when I actually sit down and pour through this and I see how God views sin, that He would let His chosen people... It's important that you don't miss the words there. Be put to the run by an insignificant sized kingdom because of one person's sin in the camp. I have conflict within myself and I have to wrangle all over again. Because I do want, I do want revival. I need to change how I view God and who God is to me, I can't stop short of following all of the commands. When I know the commands, it has become sin to me because I know them. That's what Paul is saying. I wouldn't have known coveting was a sin had the word of God not told me that coveting was a sin. Number 10, thou shalt not covet. Number 10. Anyway, with that, <coughs> I cannot stop short and say, well... Nobody knows. Yeah, he does. And if that sin's resting within me, and yet I'm asking God for revival, and I have the word of God telling me and convicting me, who am I to you, Brian Parrish? And I'm unwilling to change those things. What am I doing other than blatant sin toward God? You see, ladies and gentlemen, I, I need to change my perception 
And I need to stop with the quote-unquote acceptable sins. Just because you don't know. You see, nobody else knew where Achan had hid those. Nobody else even knew that he took them. But God did. And when it was revealed, as all things are, it cost him, his animals, and his entire family their lives. God takes sin seriously. Do I and do you? I need to change. I want revival in my heart. I want it in the body of Christ. We pray for it passionately. We go out and we share because of it. The leadership within this church and each person within this church strives for that because they love God and they love one another and they want to see the word of God spread. They want to see sanctification take place in the hearts of the children that surround them. So much so that they they set aside the things of the world and they they put together programs and they come down here and they they, they share the gospel with children and they, they set up programs so that they can put put kids into a godly or God-centered teaching environment within homes. There's all of these different things that are going on. But what's going on in here? Because you see, all the Israelites, they were doing all this stuff on the outside as well. But one man's coveting of that gold cost them. Like I said, I'm not here to do this on anybody and put a thumb screw on them. I'm just asking you, who is God to you and how do you treat him? I want this revival. I want to see lives changed. I want them to know that when they're struggling with with the sin that's in their life, that they can come and they can say, hey, look, I've got a problem with drugs. I've got a problem with alcohol. I've got a problem with pornography. I've got a problem with, with anger or frustration within my family. I have these problems. I need help. And you know what? When we confess our sins to one another, no longer is it just held within us. Then, that's why it tells you to do that. Then it's now a matter of prayer and an interaction between people who love you and want to see you succeed in the commandments of Christ. Just like you love them and want to see them succeed. The most amazing thing that you'll see is the person that you'll come up and you know that they're having struggles. They voice that and you'll come up and you'll ask them. So we'll just use the name Tom. Tom, how are you doing with that? Great, how are you doing? No, they, they, they don't want to talk about it anymore. That's the first indicator to me that, okay, look, he's still struggling. Because if he, if he wasn't still struggling with it, he would talk about the victory God had given him. But he turns it right back to, I'm great. How are you doing? No, you're not great. Often you're, you're, you're fighting a battle and you're losing. And a brother or sister is coming alongside you to help you. Everybody's heard the proverbial joke about the guy sitting upon the roof in the rainstorm as it floods. And the helicopter comes by and the boat comes by and all these other amenities come by to save him and he finally drowns and he gets up before God and he says, what happened? Where were you? He's, I, I sent a boat, I sent a helicopter, I sent everything. Where were you? See, that's what the brother or sister coming alongside you is, ladies and gentlemen. They're asking, what can I do to help you? How can I pray with you? I don't want to share in your sin, but I want to share in the ability to overcome your sin. Because that's what God has called us to do. That's what Christ himself did. That's the example he gave us.
the things that are within your heart that you need to repent of this day. Ladies and gentlemen, get up and leave them at the altar today. Sit in your chair and leave them at at, at the foot of the cross today. The things that are within your heart and you need to repent of this day, leave at the altar, knowing that we have an advocate with the Father. 1 John 2, 1-6 There is a blessed love that exists within the congregation of people, one that provides grace for each other. If you have a knowledge of anything that your brother has against you, be reconciled to him. Matthew 5, 23-24 Love one another even as Christ has loved the church. John 15, 12 If you are here and do not know the Lord and feel convicted this day by His Spirit of your need for salvation, then let me read to you as we close. This is some of the most beautiful words that you'll hear. Romans 10, 8-17. I was used to think that it was so complicated as I would hear somebody talk about salvation. Romans 10, 8 through 17. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, leading to righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, leading to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes upon him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news of, of good things. However, they did, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, for those who are here and not children of God, you just heard the word preached. I just read to you the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the power of God to redeem you. So now you are accountable for what you know. Is God convicting your heart? Is God calling you? Can you flip to Acts 13 48 and, and, and read for yourself? And as many were appointed to, to eternal life, believed. Do you believe? In your heart. It's about a relationship. There's no prayer that I'm going to lead you in. It's about you being convicted in your heart by God of your need for a Savior because everyone here has sinned. I shared with you some of the struggles that I've had and I've been reckoning with. What are you reckoning with? What's God doing in your life? Who is he to you? Is he your savior? What is he doing in your heart today? I'll be up front. If God is leading you to pray, please leave it at the altar. If he's he's leading you for salvation, please confess and believe. It's in his name and by his work that you're redeemed.